Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. I'm Nick Tully, and did you know, former defense coordinator Kevin Steele writes award-winning romance novels under the pen name Danielle Steele. Guys, we're 89 days of kickoff against Wofford, but before we get into football talk and baseball talk, um, I wanted to touch on the NBA Finals. We're here on the precipice of Game 2. My hometown Cleveland Cavaliers dropped a tough one in Game 1 on Thursday um, in overtime, and they take on the favored uh, Golden State Warriors later on today. Well, how'd you guys think game one went overall? It was basketball at its finest. It, NBA, you know, you, most people like that like college sports don't necessarily love the NBA, but when you're watching the NBA Finals with LeBron and Curry playing at such a high level, it is like, it's like art. It's another level. Yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic game up until Kyrie Irving got hurt, and over time, I think, you know, Cleveland was outscored 10 to 2. So at that point... You know, with Kyrie Hurd, and they come with the news that that he's out for the series. It doesn't look good for Cleveland. I was, which is disappointing because I expected the Warriors to win, but I expected there to be a really great series. Now I'm thinking not so much because I really just don't think LeBron could do it all by himself. Yeah, I mean, certainly um, you can maybe hear it in the tone of my voice about the Cavs right now. Like, it, it was a lot of it came down to Kyrie's health, like their ability to compete the rest of the series. You saw the whole game. He played something like 44 minutes, I think, um, overall, but really turned in a great effort. I thought he had the play of the game on the block behind Steph Curry um, leading into the very last shot on the Cavs' end. So to, to see him go down, definitely definitely sad. Um, I think more for, for everybody, you know, I think that, that might be it for the rest of the series. On the other hand, I mean, the Cavs played most of the Hawks' series without Kyrie and, and turned in a good performance against the top team um, the top seed coming out of the East. So we'll see. I mean, when you have LeBron James and, you know, a lot of people are talking about how the Cavs really aren't that deep. I mean, I think they have really solid players there, but the Warriors are definitely formidable. So let's go back to our projections. I had the dubs in five, which I might have like overshot at one because it could be a clean sweep. Uh, let's go, let's revisit. You had the... I had the Cavs in six. Okay. Um, we'll see what happens tonight. I, I'm not going to say I stick by that. I think if the Cavs are going to win this series and might end up coming down to seven. I, I'm not going to say I also can't see a, a world in which they win. Um, they play really well at home, so if they can steal one tonight, anything's possible at this point. Yeah, I I think I had the Warriors in six, and unfortunately now I'm, if not a sweep, then five, um, and, which is just as a sports fan uh, is unfortunate because I really wanted to see a, a solid series. Um, and I, th- I thought it was shaping up to be that way. Then Kevin Love goes down, the Kyrie Irving goes down. Um, so now I think if it doesn't turn out to be a good series, it's a loss for sports fans and basketball fans. Yeah, and if LeBron does pull this out totally, then it, he's got to be put into the conversation with Michael Jordan. Yeah, I know absolutely. I know that would only give him half the championships, but the he Michael Jordan has never faced what LeBron is facing right now, not even close. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Michael never did it without two other great guys around him, so... There was always a big three, whether it was Pippen and Horace Grant or Pippen and Dennis Rodman. Mm-hmm. So yeah, MJ never went to war with J.R. Smith as his uh, as his sidekick. Right. He had Scottie Pippen and Steve Kerr actually, and Steve Kerr. Um, well, yeah, agreed. I think you know if he is able to somehow manufacture a championship out of this, you have to consider this one maybe as counting as more than one championship. Obviously, not from a number standpoint, but just impact, importance. Certainly, from a Cleveland sports standpoint. That's how you break curses. That's how you break a, you know, since the '60s, 50 plus year streak, um, you know, 
of a championship drought. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. Eager to see what how the team comes out fighting in game two, um, and we'll go from there. Uh, guys, I guess we can pivot to more uh, Clemson talk. That being the topic of our podcast. So today, definitely wanted to spend some time breaking down the baseball season. I think we touched on this last last time through. Um, you know, there's definitely been some developments there in the news standpoint. We'll also break down the the football too deep depth chart. Um, at this point, we we've had some time to take a look at that and sort of see you know where where things netted out. Um, and lastly, we'll touch on just some headlines around the Clemson world as it mostly pertains to football. Um, a little bit more from an obscure sports standpoint as well. Um, but just kicking us off into um, into the world of baseball, um, Clemson pitcher Clayt Schmidt, unfortunately this week, was diagnosed with um, a form of lymphoma. Enlarged lymph nodes, it's technically called nodular sclerosing lymphoma. Um, definitely any time you hear of a young man you know, facing a, a serious disease or illness like this, you know, it's definitely a harrowing thing. Um, so we wish him the, the very best of luck. But from a baseball standpoint and just from a, you know, for his future health, it does seem like this is a very treatable, if obscure, um, illness and ailment. So first of all, just from us, wishing, wishing you, Clay, the very best of luck here as you, as you fight, fight this illness. Um, guys, how do you feel like this, this affects maybe, um, you know, just any, any thoughts at this point? Well, I mean, just... You know, this is just another thing. What a terrible week for for Clemson baseball, and then more than losses uh, to end the season, more than a man losing his job. It's you're talking about a, a young man's life, and I think that's the most important thing. That's kind of why we just wanted to start off with this first, is to send him our best wishes, because really, ultimately, it's more than more than your job. It's more than the game. It's it's really about this young man's life. So really, just to send him and his family the best, and. You know, everybody in his his circle were just sending you you know positive thoughts and really hoping for a speedy and swift recovery. Absolutely. Um, so you you touched on sort of a changing topics here. You touched on the loss of a coach this week. Uh, Dan Rudakovich let Jack Leggett know that he um, has basically been let go from the Clemson baseball program after what looks like a twenty a very prestigious twenty year career. Um, really a legend when it comes to not just Clemson baseball, but Clemson athletics. Uh, he, you know, he's really the only coach that's, that has survived since my tenure at the school uh, 13, 14 years ago. Um, so, you know, first of all, thank you, Jack Leggett, for 20 years of service with Clemson, really making a name for our program, putting us back on the map, and taking us to many, many tournaments in Omaha. Um, it's been great. But guys, you know, we talked about this throughout the, the season thus far really haven't seen too much progress since the 2010 College World Series championship berth where we lost to South Carolina. It's been a rough few years. Do you think this was the year? Do you think this was the time to let him go? Um, do you think, you know, maybe if it was time, do you think Dan Rad let him go under the best of terms or would you have changed anything about, about the approach? Well, it's really hard to say because we don't know what went on behind closed doors, but, you know, we want to kind of look at how we got got there, whether or not this was the right time to do it. And then where we stand moving forward, I mean, I personally think that this was the time. Uh, Jack had one year left on his contract, so it was either you had to do this now or extend his contract because you can't have him come back uh, without a contract extension and expect potential recruits not to take that into consideration. 
Um, you either need to make a firm decision at which direction your program is going to go, or you need to really buy into the guy and extend his contract to really, you know, let these recruits have face. So, you know, it was just, it was not a season that lived up to any of our expectations. Uh, it, we had a little momentum with the, the Florida State sweep at the end of the year going in, into the postseason, but it just did not end the way we wanted to. And I think th- this was the right time to let him go. And, and like you said, uh, much thanks to Jack Leggett and everything he gave to the program over the past 20 plus years. He has been a great face of Clemson baseball. And I know the argument is that he is Clemson baseball. And to a certain extent, that's true. But there's always there's always comes a time where you need to move on and 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 head a different direction. And I think D. Rad said it best um, that our baseball program kind of has plateaued in the past few years, and that we need to be competing for championships. And if you really take a look at Jack Leggett's numbers over the course of his career, it was really like within his first three seasons. I think he had. Yeah, he had 50 wins within his first three seasons, and then I believe only about 350 win seasons in the 17 or so, uh, you know, since then. You know, we haven't made it past the NCAA regionals in the last five years. Uh, our last College World Series was six years ago. So, yeah, if you sit down and look at the numbers, we've had mediocre records, mediocre marks in the ACC for the past several years, and it just really needs to be an injection of life into, into this baseball program, and you know, okay, you, a lot of people were angered by this, a lot of uh, Jack Leggett loyalists, and, you know, that's, that's warranted. I mean, you never want to see a guy go out like this for sure, you know, he, especially a guy that did mean so much to the program. But as the athletic director, you know, we brought D-Rat on to make these types of hard decisions, and really, in my opinion, this is probably the hardest decision he's had to make, make so far. Um, so we'll see where it goes from here. He made the decision that I think he should have made, but he really has to, no pun intended, hit a home run with this in this coaching search. Absolutely. Um, Cody, do you feel like you know this is how we should be sending out legends, legendary coaches in the program? I've, well, how big of a legend? I think depending on the Clemson fan you're talking to, what kind of impact Jack Leggett had. It, I mean, a lot of people think you know you kind of inherited – a lot from the previous coach, Bill Wilhelm. Is that right, Ben? Yeah, Bill Wilhelm. So, and then the other side of that is Clemson has the the facilities, the um, the, the academics, really, to bring in and, and the right geographical location to bring in the right type of baseball player uh, or the right type of person that you know that, you know can excel in baseball. So, uh, I I think this was probably the right decision. And I, I, I yeah, you know, shout out to Jack Leggett. He did a great job. But it was it was. It's the right decision, I, and I don't think it's necessarily. A, are we talking about whether the firing was, you know, just or, or was it the right decision? I, it's like it, the the vocal minority that is saying that uh, that that are against it. You know, they're, again, they're a minority, very small minority. I think eighty to probably ninety percent of the Clemson fan base agree with the decision. So it's like let's move on. Let's thank yeah. Jack for the work he did, and let's let's look to the future. Well, and there was, you know, there was no. I don't think there's any chance of Jack Leggett being interested in doing like a a lame duck season or doing like a, a victory lap tour. I mean, I think if, if he was going to stay put and be kept around, it was going to be with a new contract extension. And, um, you know, whether you want to call him stubborn or not, I think it's more just, you know, going out on amazing terms probably just was never going to be, be a reality here. So I, I don't want to commend Dan Rad for how he handled it, but I think he did take the necessary time after our last loss, evaluate things predicated on previous conversations they had about expectations for this season clearly those weren't met i mean i 
you mentioned it, definitely some signs of life down the stretch. But, you know, we lost some some games to some SoCon and some big South teams that, you know, really you shouldn't be losing if you're a program like Clemson, especially our in-state, you know, little brothers where we have to recruit against them. So I feel like, you know, net result, probably justified. Now we should probably take a look forward. Who are we going to be able to replace Jack Leggett with? There's a lot of names being bandied about, both from, you know, teams that are currently in the College World Series Super Regional, making some waves there. Can we really tempt them to come to Clemson? Yes, prestigious program built by Jack Leggett largely, but at the same time, do we have the budget and the facilities to really attract them away? What do you guys think? Well, I think we absolutely do because we do invest a lot into our baseball program and, and Clemson fans are, are very proud of the baseball program. It's 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 what bridges us between what is typically a kind of dismal and down basketball year uh, to football. And it gets us, you know, you know, kind of through the summer and hopefully we would be playing longer into the summers. Kind of we got accustomed to there for a while and it just hasn't been that way lately. But you know, I think with the facility improvements that we've had and Clemson's uh, commitment to investing in a big three sport, which baseball is, I think it it's a top-notch job, and it's going to be viewed as a top-notch job, and there are going to be coaches out there that are going to want to come and coach at Clemson University, and it's really up to our athletic director now to find the right guy and really make uh, a splash uh, with this coaching decision because there's there's no excuse for us to go out and, and I think get somebody that's not, you know, more than qualified or established and proven in the field. So this, again, this is going to come down to the athletic director and what he can do and, and how he fills uh, this position. So actually among the, the big three programs, this will be Dan Rad's first major hire. Certainly he's negotiated the contract extensions of Terry Don Phillips hires Dabo Sweeney and Brad Brownell. But guys, you, do you feel like this is Dan Rad's like first area to make a splash as our AD? It's yeah, it is. It's his first. It's his, I mean, you can yeah. The contract extensions were the first thing that he he where he put himself out there and, and opened himself up to criticism. Now we see you know we'll, we'll see what kind of knack he has for for talent and making whether he wants to take a risk um, or whether he wants to you know go or and the risk could be in hiring someone you know like the. Bradley LaCroix or maybe promote from within promote from within or uh, maybe open it up your pocketbook a little bit and and going for uh, you know one of the big name hires but I guess Ben could probably speak to more who is the guy why don't we break down the names that we're hearing about um, for this position maybe from other schools yeah there's there's several that are out there Um, and you have some with ties to the Clemson baseball program some kind of up-and-comers in college baseball um so I, I would say the main guys that you're going to hear, and the first thing that's going to come to Clemson fans' mind are Tim Corbin and Kevin O'Sullivan, both who were assistants under Jack Leggett. Tim Corbin, now at Vanderbilt, won a national championship with them last year. Kevin O'Sullivan at Florida. Um, he has had a good run with Florida. They haven't been so great as of late, uh, but he is still a solid coaching candidate. Um, some other guys, uh, Bradley LaCroix. Uh, former Clemson player, current assistant coach. He's done two stints. Uh, and then Jim Schlossnagel at TCU and Monty Lee at College of Charleston. Those are kind of my really top five that I see as possibilities. And we can now kind of go into each and kind of break them down. Um, 
Tim Corbin been do, do we have it? I mean, he just won a national championship at Vanderbilt. Well, and that's going to be the argument with uh, there's well several arguments between uh, Tim Corbin and Kevin O'Sullivan is one uh, with Jack Leggett being their mentor. Would they really come back to Clemson? Is it something that they would hold a grudge and really turn down an opportunity uh, because of the way Jack Leggett's uh, firing was handled? And a lot of people think that that's going to be a big stumbling block for Clemson. Uh, the other um, thing is... Well, on the other hand, I mean, or could Jack Leggett position this as, you need to carry on my legacy, walk in my footsteps, take over this program. He wants to see it left in good hands, that which he built. I mean, I think it's, it's, a, it's a matter probably of how did Jack Leggett think his situation was handled. Well, right. And, and well, then there's a good question. How is Jack Leggett going to view Clemson moving forward? I mean, he's, he's a Hall of Fame coach. Is he going to be in the Clemson Hall of Fame? Like, how, how does something like that go down? And then also... Should we name the stadium after him? <laughs> I mean... Well, and he's not done coaching yet. I think there's a lot of, of fire left in him to coach. So how, how, much, how willing is he going to be to help out a program when he's going to be possibly going to another one and competing against he them? Sounds, it seems like he's kind of a salty old guy yeah, at this point. Yeah. And I don't, I he's don't, a baseball guy. I mean, that's what, I mean, in, in the truest sense of the word. So um, th- that is a good question as it relates to Corbin and O'Sullivan is, you know, there's going to be dialogue there. Both of those guys respect him so much, as they should. And Jack Leggett's very well respected throughout college baseball. Um, so, again, that's, that's kind of the first hurdle. The, the second thing with those guys, as much as we, you know, love Clemson, are they really, is that a step up for them? Uh, you know, again, Tim Corbin can do anything he wants at Vanderbilt. He just won a national championship with them, which is their first national major men's national championship. And then Kevin O'Sullivan, Florida is another great school. They put money into their, into their sports programs, you know. So for me, I mean, anyone that we do hire into this, I think you can't help but be living in the, the shadow or the specter of Jack Leggett, at least until you come through and establish yourself with another trip to Omaha. So are these guys really going... These guys are establishing their own kind of legend, if you will, at these schools. Tim Corbin certainly has gotten there. Kevin O'Sullivan, we'll see. They're in the Super Regional. So, yeah, I mean, I think that it, it may be a tough one to get to recruit those guys in. Well, and I think Tim Corbin would definitely be atop everybody's uh, list as, as the coach. You can kind of start to see the sliding Clemson baseball after he left in the early 2000s. Uh, so, I, I, you know, as unlikely as he may be, I still think you have to go after him. You have to at least pick up the phone and make a call. Oh, he's already been called for sure. Yeah. Um, so, well, I, yeah. I, I Swing think, for the fences, as yeah, they say. Yeah. I mean, well, you don't want to. You don't want to leave that on the table if there is any angle or any way you can get an in with him. I think for sure. I think um, what's interesting here is we'll we'll see if regardless of who is hired, I think we'll see with recruiting. I think Jack set kind of a benchmark, and even though we were improving the last few years, I think with Bradley Lercoy as the uh, as like the uh, recruiting coordinator, it seems that we'll, we'll get an idea when we start seeing the how how well we recruit moving forward. Yeah, because of the relationships that might have been um, that, that were kind of cut or, or weren't being uh, cultivated uh, with within South Carolina with high school coaches. Well, and that's another interesting take because moving on maybe now to Bradley Lercoy. Um, you know, he met with D-Rad and expressed his interest in the coaching job. Now, we kind of have another Dabo situation here, uh, coaching waiting, you know, and D-Rad told him to go ahead and apply for the job. So, one, whether or not he's qualified, we can talk about that here in a second. But if he's not given the job and somebody else is hired, 
does he stick with the program? Like, where does where does he go from there? Yeah, and that's that's some behind the scenes stuff, but it matters. It matters a lot, probably a little bit more in college football, where you're developing these pipelines of certain schools, and they and you know one recruit goes there, and then three years later, there's another high profile recruit. But it's the same concept. It happens in baseball. So Lacroix probably has some relationships that would you know go by the wayside if he left. Um, I, I, I don't see I think LaCroix does mirror the Dabo situation a lot because he's young, he's hungry, and you're kind of taking a risk on that guy that's not proven. I don't think D-Rad goes that route. I don't think he I just don't think he does. Uh, it's again, it's his first decision that he makes that's really going to open him up to criticism. Right. A lot of risk there. I, I see him playing it safe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we struck gold once with kind of going that route. Uh, former whatever insurance salesman, wide receiver coach. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see us going that direction again. Because are, are we going to strike gold twice now? He was named like one of the top assistant baseball coaches in the country a few years ago. So I mean, he's certainly a great baseball mind. Yeah, he has the right mentor, the right, right training, right hands-on experience within this program, and has been involved in our recruiting. So played played for Clemson, like, and, and we're, we see that in baseball, I think, more than anything. A couple of things you see, longer coaching tenures, these guys tend to stick around for a while. And then also, there's always, like, ties to the program. Um, and I think that's, that's big. So I think he does get, for certain, some consideration, but I think more so uh, whether or not he merits, uh, you know, getting the job like he's qualified for it i think it's dependent less so on how he uh he comes across in an interview for it and more so what the other coaching candidates say or do because there are some guys that tim corbin if he says yes he's come of course you're going to take him well the and, money too yeah because some of these guys might ask for you know 400 grand uh 500 grand a year whereas right I mean, you can get Bradley LaCroix on the cheap, probably like half of that. Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. And that matters in baseball, which isn't bringing in a lot but of money. I don't think at this point you can afford to, to go cheap. I think you, you let Jack Leggett go. Yeah. This is different than letting Tommy Bowden go. You know, this was a coach that's been there for over 20 years. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, he had established, you know, himself within the university. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, this move could have been made a year ago with a coach like, you know, Tommy Bowden. Um, you know, certainly, it just, yeah, it, it, he is a legend, and he means a lot to the school, the university, really the, the last couple of decades. So I, I, I do want to say, I mean, after last year's result, they may have been in, otherwise able to move on, and I think they gave him maybe even more benefit of the doubt than any other coach might get. So. Yeah, and I don't wonder if those things kind of last year at the end of the season, the, the list of things that he and D-Rad, Leggett and D-Rad talked about to kind of point the program in a different direction. Yeah, maybe it is kind of unfair to give a guy one year and here do these things, let's see if magic happens. So maybe it should have been done earlier instead of kind of wasting a year. Mm. Um, but, you know, that being said, we put ourselves in a position this year and it really came to a lot of coaching decisions. Uh, things you can put on the coach, whether errors, base running, looking at called third strikes, like there's a lot of stuff that has to do with coaching. So yeah, um, maybe to throw it to a couple of other candidates that that we've heard about. Um, I'm going to try to pronounce this right. Jim Schlossnagel, uh, Texas go. Christian, uh, has his team in the Super Regional, competing for you know that berth to Omaha against A&M. Um, he has some Carolina Carolina ties. 
you know, is definitely seen as a, you know, a visionary baseball coach. Do we think he realistically would consider Clemson? Yeah, I think absolutely. Again, we're going back to the ties. Um, you know, he, um, he was Clemson's pitching coach back in 1993, and he has family ties to the Carolinas. And he's taken TCU, I believe, three out of the last five years to the College World Series, and he has it back in the Super Regionals, hosting a Super Regional this year. Uh, he gets paid a good bit of money, so I think he's 375k annually. His total compensation is north of 475. Uh, so the question there is, can we match the money? Do we have the type of money to pay? Because I think we're going to be paying Jack Leggett at least one the last year of his contract. Uh, so can we match it there? But whether or not we would want him as a coach, absolutely. Right. I mean, this guy has a proven track record. He has a you know great uh, overall win loss record. He's done great things at TCU, and I think absolutely if he would even consider. Uh, coming to Clemson, you definitely reach out to him and, and you approach him for this job. I think that that he would definitely be a home run hire. Outside, of, I think outside of the two guys that we first talked about, Corbin and O'Sullivan, who personally I think are long shots. This is the first guy that we've talked about that I think gets serious consideration for the job. So Ben, who do you think should be hired, and then who will be hired? Well, let's let's get to Monty Lee real quick because that's a guy that we haven't brought up yeah. yet. And he's the coach at College of Charleston. And personally, I think this is the guy that should be gone after strong. And I think ultimately, if he's interested in the job that you offered to him, uh, for several reasons. You know, we've heard, you know, some things about Jack Leggett and his recruiting. And, you know, we've missed out some of the top talent in the state. This guy has coaching connections throughout the state of South Carolina. Um, and he has a very good track record at the College of Charleston, which is a mid-major school. Um, he had him ranked high this year. He had him in the in the in the playoffs. So I, I think this is a guy that we definitely have to go after. He has a great great winning percentage, six fifty six, uh, and averaging almost forty wins a season since two thousand nine. I think he's a he's a young coach, uh, but he has good experience. And I think he would bring a lot to the program. I think the, you hear that players love playing for him. I think he would instill some life into the program. And, you, you know, I think this is a, a definitely a guy that you have to, to look into. Now, whether or not uh, he's going to be on the list, we don't know what uh, D-Rad's list is for, for coaching candidates, but I think he definitely has to be on there, and he should get serious consideration. And the only reason I would put him maybe above Schlossnagel is because of the money thing. He's not going to command as much money. Although if Clemson can find any way to, to find the money in the bank to pay Schlossnagel, I think in that case, then, then you have to go that route just because three College World Series recently. I mean, we're spending millions upgrading facilities around campus, football, baseball included, Little John with basketball. I personally would rather we focus on investing in the programs and the players and the product inside of these facilities rather than the walls of these facilities themselves. So I, I would hope if, if, let's say, the gap between bringing in a home run hire and promoting from within and really crossing our fingers that a guy works out is 50, 100K a year, that we would, we would pony up and, and make it happen. Well, I think it comes down to is baseball is generally not a revenue-producing sport. So how do you justify paying a baseball coach you know, X amount of dollars to bring it in? Well, if, if you can turn it into a revenue-producing sport... Again, Clemson has a great baseball tradition. We have a great atmosphere at the, at the ballpark, um, and we have great facilities now, and they're, they're being upgraded. 
So I think all those things combined, you know, I don't know what the numbers are. I don't know what it would take to be a revenue-producing sport. I don't think that many schools have baseball as a revenue-producing sport. People just don't watch it on television. Yeah. Like that's the, the big problem. But, but. Uh, however, it does get TV time in the playoffs when it does matter, and it's on right. ESPN all the time. They're televising every game, and, and baseball is, is still a big sport nationally. So, um, yeah, I... I you know, even if you could come close to breaking even, I think it's worth it. Just generate excitement with your school, put it out there. And, and the biggest thing that we haven't talked about is that we need to match and uh, pass two national championships at our little sister school down in the middle of the state. So I think that's one, <laughs> I think that's one of the biggest reasons, and I think that's worth the money. So Indeed. We will, we will address our donation checks accordingly um, to the baseball team. So... Before we kind of move off from this, I do want to touch on some accolades of our team and our players this season. You know, not the best out, outcome ultimately for the team in the tournament. However, um, we had some accolades coming through, and coming up this week is the Major League Baseball MLB draft. Um, so we had nine Tigers ranked in the top 350, which, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me where that benchmarks against past performance, but we should have some, some Clemson guys' names called this coming week, um, which is great. Guys, any any feedback on who's going to get drafted? I mean, clearly with their coach, that there may have been guys on the fence between deciding to go into the draft and, and committing to coming back. With Jack Leggett and the future of the program kind of in limbo, I imagine some of those guys on the fence might be pushed more toward going for it. Um, any, any highlights or high-level talking points about the draft? Yeah, and I would say, and we'll get into this more, we're going to have to kind of let the dust settle and a coaching uh, hire being made before we can really project going forward what we're going to be looking like going into next year. But just to kind of to show what we did have this year and what we possibly do have going into next year, you know, you had Matthew Crownover, who was the ACC Pitcher of the Year. You had Zach Irwin, which, in my opinion, should have been on um, – uh, ACC uh, first, second, or third team this year. Um, and then Reed Rollman really came on. Uh, he was named a freshman All-American. And so that is a guy we know that's going to be coming back next year. Well, at least we hope. Um, but then, yeah, eight, nine Tigers ranked in the top 350 pro, uh, prospects. So there was a lot of talent on this team. And, you know, what going into next year, are we be able to keep some of our, our, our signees in the recruiting class and from the guys that are on the team, how many are actually be able to come back? We're just not going to be able to know yet. We're going to have to let the draft take place, and then we're going to have to let the coaching decision be made and see where we go from there. Yeah, the cupboard, the cupboard is not bare, right? So, Well, and, and one thing that, that Clemson baseball has suffered from in, in really for a while now is that we do have these high uh, overall recruits that end up getting drafted high in the MLB draft and never step foot on Clemson's campus. Um, so, Yeah, it adds a wrinkle that we really don't see in football that I imagine yeah. we probably would if, if players went straight to the pros. Although we did miss out on Jeff Francoeur um, in football because he got drafted high in the, in the major league draft. Um, and uh, a couple other guys that have been really solid that we have missed on in, in baseball. So... But, you know, other schools deal with that, too. So it's, it's all a level playing field. So you have to be able to compensate for that, and you have to know that that's a possibility. So, yep. Any closing thoughts, guys, on, on baseball? I guess we'll probably recap the draft and the coaching hire um, as that happens. But yeah. parting thoughts? 
Well, and we'll spend some time maybe next time recapping the season as, as things start to settle and really see what got us to this point. Again, it was a disappointing year. But then also try to find any shred of, of, of you know, potential optimism, optimism yeah. for next year. Because, again, you know, we don't we, – we love Clemson baseball. We love Clemson Tiger sports. And as, as much as it may happen, it's likely to happen with a coaching change, we don't want next year to be another down year. So, and we don't expect that. And if we make a home run hire of a coach, I think that puts us in a good position moving forward next year to, to improve. Yeah, I think we'll bring in a guy regardless. It'll, he'll be new. It'll be a new scenery. He'll be hungry. And I think he'll move the needle and we'll, be, and we'll see exactly how impactful a good baseball, college baseball coach can be. And regardless of talent, who leaves, we'll see that, we'll see that effect. And we'll be glad that we did make the change. And again, going back to it, this is all going to be on D-Rad. This is his first major hire. And I think uh, really his legacy at Clemson and how, how he's viewed is really going to come down to uh, baseball and basketball. Football is his own thing. Dabo runs that show. But it's really going to come down to baseball and basketball. So let's see what he does. Yeah, I mean, I, I see Dan Rod. He, he, signs, he ultimately gets the check signed and gets the budget and – you know, facilitates things for our for our programs. Um, he's done great work with football. Let's see if he can do it in the other sports. Sticking with football, um, we did want to touch on the 2015 summer depth chart, which was released about 10 days ago. Cody, you've you've dug into this. You've gone into into the war room and broken this down. Any anything that stood out on the depth chart to you as a surprise? No, really, it's it's pretty much what you expected. Like the, the guys that were coming in, no one's like leapfrogged anyone on on the depth chart. Um, what I want to really do is like dive into a, a position group that I think is the best, or like that stands out to me as like, wow, we're great, and that's the wide receiver position because I think I read it on Tiger Illustrated. Uh, some uh, I think Larry Williams said we are national championship great at the wide receiver position. And it's, it's very true. And even dating back to just a few years ago when we had Nuke and Sammy and Martavis, who were all NFL receivers. On and Sharon Peak. And yeah, yeah, and Sharon Peak. Yeah, that's a good point because he could be an NFL receiver as well. Well, they were on the same team. I mean, and, and I think this, this year could actually be better than, that, than years prior. Um, and so let's, like, let's run, run through the guys. So Artavis Scott, we talked about him a lot. Um, no surprise there. He's probably our best playmaker on the, on the whole roster right now. Um, and, and you can get him the ball in unique ways. It's not just like he's not a, a very strictly, you know, the catch catch only receiver. Um, but then Mike Williams, who probably has the higher upside in terms of NFL talent, and and much more of a possession receiver. Yeah, he is a possession, runner, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a possession receiver, but with in more of like the mold of like Calvin Johnson on a college level. He's that good. He's just you saw him make freakish plays last year. Um, so those two guys give us our core, right? Two of the best receivers, not just in the ACC, but in the, in the nation. And then we, as we go beyond that, we have, like you said earlier, Sharon Peak, who is, has that high upside NFL-level talent. We haven't seen it. He's been hurt. But he was, if you remember, in the same class as Sammy and actually not Martavis, but he was in the same class as Sammy. Um, and he was actually rated higher. So he's got that, that upside. And, and beyond that, you have Jermon Hopper, a former top 100 recruit. Tons of talent. Incredible athlete. Incredible athlete. And he's the guy that's probably going to be our first guy off the bench. Uh, two guys coming in, Ray Ray McLeod and Deion Kane. And if you haven't seen these guys, if you don't know anything about them, 
watch their highlight film because it's amazing. Deion Kane looks like some kind of mixture, some kind of hybrid of uh, Martavis Bryant and Sammy Watkins. He's very shifty. He's tall. He's got receiver uh, ability. He, you know, he, he's just amazing. And then Ray Ray McLeod's a little bit more like uh, Martavis Scott, very shifty, almost like a running back, but he'll play that kind of hybrid Kobe Ford type role. So it sounds like you're excited about the wide receivers. <laughs> very, very excited. So how about Trevion Thompson? Great point. I, I jumped him, or I, I leaped over him. So he, the record on him is he looks like Mike Williams, like a clone of Mike Williams. That's coach talk. So I'm like, I'm kind of iffy on, on, on how he's going to turn out, at least initially. But he's got that big 6'2", 6'3", type frame that you know, kind of like Mike Williams has. And if he looks, if he's anything close to what Mike Williams is, then we're in good shape because he's just a redshirt freshman right now. Right. And then uh, I'll point out that you also missed uh, Hunter Renfro. Oh, man. God. Sorry, man. That's your, that's your boy. Hunter Renfro is uh, he's a, he's like a preferred walk-on, I think. I'm, I'm not sure what they call it these days. He he's also can, uh, can punt, so a lot of flexibility there, man. I'd love nothing more than to see this, this punter do a fake and then take it 90 yards to the house on like, someone like Florida State. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bowden used to do that. Yeah, let's let's pay it forward, man. Let's let's get Hunter Renfro in there. Well, that's what we've been missing is that piece, yeah, that that walk on wide receiver punter. Yeah, that can really take it to the house on trick plays on the, on special teams. We would have won a national championship in the last few years if we had that. Absolutely, so Hunter Renfro is the is the missing piece, obviously. Okay, I'm glad I finally sold you on that. <laughs> Any other highlights across the offense? Taking a look at at the two deep. Not, not necessarily. Running backs going to be interesting because you have uh, you have a whole lot of running backs, but not anyone that's like stands out as being great. Wayne Gallman is. We saw some a little uh, a little preview of how good he can be. I what about Adam Choice though? I mean, he looked good when he played last year. Man, I'm not. I don't want to be down on Adam Choice because he, he tore his ACL. But I'm not. He just looked a little slow, and I don't see him ever being. I see him being a good backup option long term. I don't see him being. Uh, Heisman and then Heisman type candidate uh, the guy that kind of excites me is Tyshawn Dye yeah. he came yeah. in as like the next piece you know if you, you recall back we had CJ Spiller we had James Davis we had uh, we recruited Mike Bellamy who who flopped but then he was like the next guy the uh, you know Tyshawn Dye and he, he's he's been hurt like a back injury I think I think he tore his ACL but he I think he could get back to form and still give us that that like go-to running back until Feaster arrives next year. Well, then C.J. Davidson. I mean, we saw him really have a great spring uh, game, and he's he's got some speed. He's really fast. He's a track guy. Um, what do we see out of him? I, Where does he seem fitting in? I mean, I like that we have depth there, but he's he's a depth guy. He's not going to give yeah. us like that upside that a guy like Feaster or anything, anything close to what C.J. Spiller I mean, was. It seems, seems like we have three, four guys across the depth chart that can play the jet sweep for us. That's the type of yeah. a role I feel like C.J. Davidson can fill in, but we already have Artavis Scott there for it. So. Right, but then we have Zach Brooks, too, which we haven't touched on. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think the big thing here is we've got a lot of guys who have played with an experience, and I think it never hurts to have that depth, especially at a position where there can be injuries. And if we just need to plug a guy in there that can get us three or four yards of carry and, and run the ball to, to keep defenses off balance – Somebody's going to take care of the ball and take some pressure. You can do pass blocking or come out of the backfield and catch some cat, uh, make some catches. That's the biggest thing is pass protection. And Zach Brooks is he's a bona fide. You know he knows what he's doing there. Other guys you can't really say the same. 
And when Deshaun Watson's your quarterback and he's like the guy that's going to get you to glory or or not, then yeah, you got you got to block for him. And Zach Brooks, he gives us that. His upside as a running back is not very high, I don't think at this point. But if he can just block for Deshaun Watson, then that's sufficient. Yeah, well, even if they each have their own roles, I mean, I see Die as being a big bruiser of the back. Yeah, and Choice kind of stood out that way to me. It's it's kind of hard to tell because they played so sporadically last year with all their injuries and it was like you know one guy was playing one game and not the next so it's hard to me to to visualize every guy and how they played my head I know Galman impressed me I was excited you know at this point he's performed better than any of the those um uh, the Grayson trio so yeah no I I well yeah I agree he's uh he didn't look like a running back initially but he's because he looked like I don't he just wanted to get to the outside looking all shifty and Wanted to just avoid tackles, but you saw glimpses of him having ability, not like freakish athleticism, but ability to give us a serviceable back. Um, we'll we'll see what happens because so much relies on the offensive line too. It's never just the the running back making things happen, but right. ultimately that's that's what's that's what's going to make or break you know how good a running game is. Guys, what what's not keeping me up at night is our offensive depth and our playmaker ability. What's keeping me up at night is our defense and. A couple of position groups for me that sort of stand out are secondary and then our defensive line, especially at the end position. Um, I want to I want to take a look at both or get your take your feedback on on both groups. Cody, you you probably spent the most time studying this. Is there either group that stands out to you as having you know a decent amount of upside, but maybe some depth issues, where a different group, let's say, might have. Um, you know, not really as big a depth issue, maybe depth at the top end, but more, they're just, we shouldn't expect much out of them. That's the great thing we can say about Clemson, like this this year and how we've recruited, because every position has a really good player. Uh, the one that we're not talking about actually is linebacker, where we don't actually have a solidified guy there. Maybe Ben Bulware, we don't right. know. Oh, Books no. out. You think he's solidified? I think Ben Bulware is going to do something to win us the national championship. I just I, I love the fire in the guy. He's a monster. He's an animal. You just said we're going to win a great national boy championship. Too. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean within the next two years that we have him here, I think so. And he's okay. he's going to do something. Did you see his his tweet back and forth with some Oklahoma fan? He was in the end zone. He didn't have time yeah, yeah, to stop exactly. Greeny. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy and I love his attitude. I like him too. So yeah, we don't worry about linebacker just because. And Brent Venables is our linebacker coach. So we're just like we're sure that we're good there. Brent Venables could play linebacker, and I think would be okay. Yeah, debatable. Anyway, we'll <laughs> move on. Linebacker, we're we're a little less worried. Yeah, we're where we're worried is it's amazing because the defensive end we got a guy similarly to cornerback that could potentially be all American, Shaq Lawson, Mackenzie Alexander. But at the same time, we're one injury away from being a very mediocre group there, be very, becoming very exposed if one of those guys were to go down. I mean, at least as it is right now, until we see a guy like Kevin Dodd really step up, until we see some depth, so until we see these incoming freshmen who we're gonna have to put a lot of a lot on their shoulders initially because you got a guy like Mark Fields, the South Carolina D commitment that came that's coming to Clemson, you know, unbelievable talent. He might you know be playing opposite McKenzie Alexander. And then you look at the two defensive ends, uh, true freshmen. Um, you have Albert Huggins. You have uh, Thomas Bryant, Austin Bryant, I'm sorry. And then uh, actually a third guy, Cullen Farrell. These guys are going to really make or break our season. And, you know, Having that depth, are they going to be ready to play? How quick are they going to be able to adjust and adapt and 
but exciting guys nonetheless that'll have good careers. It's just this is going to be what will be. Are we a playoff team or are we just you know second best in the ACC? Right. And well, I, I think if we're going to need one of those three guys to come in, I think and make a contribution, especially if there's an injury, for sure. So yeah. Um, and and really, how is the how is the opposite side of the line of Shaq Lawson going to be able to balance so teams aren't so focused on him? and effectively take him out of the game. Um, so I, I think that's a position where we're definitely thin. Um, the secondary, we'll see. I mean, we have some talent back there, absolutely. Yeah. It's so. not, yeah, there's talent for sure. It, it's that one cornerback position that, that we're, yeah. well, we could be exposed. What we, what we see sometimes often in the NFL is when one position group is dominant, it kind of makes up for, you know, inequities at others. So... If you do have a dominant, like, can't get anything through secondary, basically it buys more time for your pass rush to get in there and but, disrupt. But then again, I guess, how good do we really know our secondary is because we had such a dominant defensive line last year? So, I think, I mean, that's the big question. That That's sure. where our biggest obvious drop-off is going to be. It's just naturally with the guys who graduated. Um, so... Yeah. yeah, we'll see exactly how good McKenzie Alexander is. But it, I, think, I think he's all-American good. And... Uh, I well no I completely agree with him I'm more talking about the other guys um, but I, I really think the first two games of the year is going to be telling for our defense we know how our offense is going to perform I think the first two games of the year is really going to tell we play Wofford uh, and they're a yep. triple option team so that'll be good to actually play them and get you know these young guys some gimmick offense alert <laughs> it doesn't doesn't yeah it doesn't Paul hurt, Johnson's ears not. are burning. <laughs> um, so, and then Appalachian State, who actually did pretty decent last year. So I, I, I clearly expect us to win, win the games easily. But if we're giving up 20-plus points to these teams, I am going to be concerned about the defense, unless a majority of those points comes in garbage time, fourth quarter against sure. the fourth string. So first, first quarter, first second, basically first half in both of those games. Um, you'd expect some rust, obviously, but... Definitely going to be keen to watch those. Yeah. Um, well, guys, good good look at our depth chart. I think as we get into, we're kind of in the the dog days of summer period now, where it's all about strength and conditioning, really behind the scenes stuff going on on the football t- football side. Um, incoming freshmen are filling in, um, and as word comes out about some of their progress in practice as that kicks back up, we'll definitely keep you all informed um, at that point. But um, basically, I you know I think we will continue to look at the depth chart. Um, but I wanted to t- move on to some headlines that we're seeing across the college football landscape. Um, this week, it was released the College Football Hall of Fame ballot uh, for 2016, and legendary head coach, national champion Danny Ford hit the list this year. Do you guys feel like? Basically, I do in that I. I feel like he already should be or was in this Hall of Fame. It's kind of news to me that he was, he was not. Yeah, well, first off, I mean, again, it's great exposure for, for Clemson, and it's great for Danny Ford. I mean, for us to have you know, a guy in there like that, he was the, he's still the youngest coach to ever win a national championship. Um, he did it at, at 33 years old. Unfortunately, it was a few months before I was born, so I missed out on it. Um, but nonetheless, you know, I, yeah, it's, it's great to – it's it's always great to hear about Danny Ford, and he is a, such a good represent, uh, representative of Clemson University. So, yeah, congratulations to him. 
Yeah, I'm surprised he's not in there yet. But I'm yeah, I, w- I don't even remember him as a coach, so I don't have that much sentiment there. But yeah, let's let's get him in there. He won a national championship, our only national championship. Yeah, he's already in the ring of honor. So let's make it happen. Um, elsewhere, Clemson uh, on the NFL.com, they have a 24/7 college football sort of news service. One of their bloggers put up a post this week, and they did a ranking last week of football rivalries. We, we hit the top 10. We also hit the top 10 this week in terms of, quote-unquote, wide receiver U. They've been looking, actually, at a number of different metrics, um, such as the number of players you end up having um, in the first round over the last 15-year period. How many picks do you get in the top three rounds? What's your total drafted at this position? Um, so Clemson hit number seven on the list. I feel like majority um, related to, to recent year like outcomes and performance. Everyone else that we were stacked up against as we kind of look through some of the names on this, you don't really see a lot of contemporaries for our guys like Sammy Watkins, DeAndre Hopkins, Martavis Bryant, um, who are really rounding out Clemson's you know entries on this list. Jerron Brown. Jerron Brown for sure. We could also list Rod Gardner. Back, back in my day, he was the man. Um, so definitely, you know, we're seeing a good amount of NFL attention for our receivers at the moment, you know, in this era. And it's great. It's great to see definitely benefits, um, our recruiting and it's really fun to watch as well. So I think in, in coming podcasts, we'll probably take a look at how each of them are stacking up in the NFL. We'll probably make some proclamations for who's going to end up having the best career. But I just wanted to say, I mean, expectation wise, both with their performance and with the depth chart that we talked about earlier, we should be seeing Clemson rapidly move up this list in coming years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been an embarrassment of riches for us, really, the skill positions in football. Um, so, you know, you have these guys on the list, and then you have the guys like Artavis Scott and Mike Williams um, and, and the other guys, Raymond McLeod, Deion Kane coming in. Like, I mean, we're going to shoot up to the top of this list. Um, and really, you look at the guys. I mean, we had some big name schools that we'd have to jump, but you know, you look at LSU is sitting there ranked number two. Now they have Odell Beckham Jr. on the list, and you know, really him alone should put you at the top spot. But they <laughs> went out and threw out Dwayne Bow and uh, yeah, uh, Devery Henderson, like uh, Brandon LaFell. Like these guys, you know their name, but they're they're the guy you search for desperately on your fantasy football team because your your main guys on injured reserve. Yeah, like these exactly. are not playmakers and talented guys like i'm sure they did phenomenally in in college but you know we're talking about big impact yeah and, and that's what we're going to see out of uh new Hopkins and sammy Watkins, and then Mart- martavis bryant switching to him you know we'll again go into this uh in a little more depth but some great things coming out being said about him darius hayward bay um saying that he has the potential and the talent to be one of the best to ever play the the position and Taj Boyd you know now a backup quarterback on the Steelers roster saying seeing how Martavis uh his mindset and his approach now to the game that he expects him to be a pro bowler within the next couple years and you know we were always kind of iffy about Martavis Bryant like we never really knew if we saw his full potential Clemson when he was great he was great um, and we saw, kind of saw him get a slow start to his NFL career last year, but really came on. He had you know over 21 yards uh, per catch last year, really, really started getting into games, and they're expecting big things out of him. They're really excited about that. Yeah, I, I don't buy it. <laughs> Nothing against Martavis. He's, he's a good talent. He had a great year, but 
Uh, if you want to look at the future of the wide receiver position in the NFL, it's you already have two number one receivers, and just having that label, it's almost like your your ace in pitching. But you have Sammy and Nuke, and they are unfortunately the, the people throwing to them. I think I could throw better than some of those guys, and the guy that's throwing to Martavis is Ben Roethlisberger, who's a damn good quarterback. So um, it, he has a chance to be good, but it, it really relies it. it it hinges on Ben Roethlisberger, but it's very exciting nonetheless because we have you know a threesome, including you know and Jerron Brown, who uh, give us some really good representation from the NFL. And then looking to the next few years, I think we're going to put a few more guys in there too. Yeah, I mean we're talking about Mike Williams possibly being a first round pick, depending on how this year goes for him. So yeah, when you draft in the first round for a wide receiver, that means like this is going to be our guy. Man. Yeah, 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 and if. If Watkins and Hopkins and Bryant turn around and have great years this year, and then Mike Williams gets drafted first round next year, I expect us to move way up this list. Yeah, it's it's what I mean. At least the way that like recruits see it is what have you done for me lately? And they don't care about what happened in the early 1990s or, the, or even the early 2000s. So we're we're getting some good exposure. And in in 2015, who is wide receiver? You? That's us. So sticking with starting positions for Clemson, either recent graduates, recent draftees, or you know just general guys, um, Bradley Pinion, who we saw drafted in the fifth round by San Francisco, looks like he is the front runner for the starting punter position there after Andy Lee, perennial pro bowler, was traded to Cleveland. Uh, so fellas, you know, we'll, we'll just keep this as a headline, but good to see a Clemson guy already basically lock up a starting position um, as a rookie. Clearly, you'll expect that from Vic Beasley, some of our other like first-round draft picks. But at the same time, you know, welcome to the Bay Area, Bradley, and congrats on this. What appears to be the starting nod. Um, elsewhere, maybe take a little bit of a throwback update here. Um, Clemson, former Clemson quarterback and NFL great, probable Hall of Famer Brian Dawkins was voted by a panel of Eagle fans as the greatest living Philadelphia Eagle over the likes of Donovan McNabb. Uh, whether we think that's Philadelphia's crusty bias coming through against how Donovan McNabb left or whether they really believe Brian Dawkins was the best, you know, we'll leave that to everyone's imagination. But good to see him getting that recognition. Definitely he's a legend in Philadelphia um, and a legend in Clemson as well as a defensive player. Um, yeah, Doc. I mean, I was I was really surprised to see the the difference between the percentage of the vote that he got and Donovan McNabb. Uh, Dawkins had 68% McNabb with only eight. And I think, like you said, I think that has a lot to do with Philly's fans grudge. You know, they have a reputation in that city, um, of, of their fan base. So I think this may be a reflection of that. They boo Santa Claus, for instance. (laughs) They never would have brought LeBron back if he would have left Philly. Right. Right. Definitely not. Yes, they would. We'll see. Uh, greatest so, player, in the, you know. greatest greatest player in the country in the in the world. So, con- congrats to Doc. I mean, for that for that slight recognition there. But um, yeah, an overwhelming amount of the vote, and that's that's great. Again, another great representative for our university. Uh, you know, we're so fortunate to have these guys out there that represent us so well. And you know, guys like this, our our, our legacy guys, and then the product we're putting on the field is really going to put the Clemson name uh, front and center. Uh, I, I think in nationally. So two guys who have not kept Clemson front and center in recent years have been have moved on from their position. Um, it was released recently that ESPN college football final 
really the the studio team behind ESPN College Game Day. Uh, two of the three guys that run that, Mark May and Lou Holtz, will not be coming back this season. Um, we're playing, you know, the, the smallest violin for these guys moving on. Um, certainly, they always kind of had it in from a bias standpoint against Clemson's legitimacy, whether it be in the top ten rankings, playing either inferior, or superior opponents. There's generally a bias kind of against our program from these guys. Lou being the former South Carolina head coach, Mark May just being, you know, kind of whiny. So, you know, kind of happy on my end. These guys are moving on. Eager to see who they replace them with. Um, I think Reese Davis is really strong as the host of that show. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see who comes in from a color standpoint. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad Lou is gone. I mean, nothing. I I, I kind of like Mark May to be honest. He. Uh, he definitely was kind of SEC biased, but he um, but he was good. I thought he gave some good, and he tried to be objective. Lou like had no regard for being objective. He was anti Clemson, and maybe like he was just like hated them so much to where he really did think that they were, I guess, as bad. Or he would pick them to lose some games that maybe it was just unbelievable. Maybe sixty three to seventeen had something to do with it. Could be. <laughs> was that was he mm. still coaching then? Yeah, no, he definitely held a grudge against Clemson in between the. You know the the spit flying out of his mouth. You could really hear the hatred in his voice. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of at the end of there. It was just kind of sad watching him on TV. Not just talking about Clemson, just about everything. So yeah, good riddance, man. I know. We, I know there there could be some health issues there, so we don't want to speak too to be too down on him but yeah like he was he was horrible he wasn't even good like and, like i would not want to listen to him for any other college football news <clears throat> well and what i generally look for in those shows is it's not even just about being unbiased or balanced it's being kind of charismatic and having energy and, and coherent I, and coherence and i think that was lacking in both of these guys i mean you can understand what mark way was saying but just really flat in his delivery and these kind of things so yeah i you know i think I think with as much money as ESPN brings in, they can probably go out there and find the best possible talent and best combination. I think other other duos in their lineup tend to play off each other pretty well, um, depending on your opinion of you know Herb Street or Chris Fowler or the actual game day guys. Um, I, it's probably time for Lee Corso to hang them up, but at the same time, you know he's entertaining. So well, and I, I will give Lou Holtz this. He did provide some really entertaining moments, and if you haven't done so, I would encourage you just to go on YouTube, type in Lou Holtz, ESPN broadcasting, whatever keywords you can, and you're going to come up with some good content. And I, I will say, try not to get too lost either in what Lou Holtz is saying, but always look at Mark May's face and his reaction to it because it's priceless. We'll, we'll miss that. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, Corso is next. Yeah, <laughs> we will see. Um, and I guess in parting, we wanted to congratulate uh, Clemson on taking the FLW College Fishing Tournament title this year. Yeah, great job, guys. You know, matching those uh, Carolina Fishing National Championships, you know, one for one this year. Now we just need a women's equestrian program really to, to keep up with the Joneses there. So congrats to the guys. Uh, I'll, I'll point out, I think that was an SEC championship too. So what you got, Gamecocks? whole lot of nothing apparently um so that's all we had for this week guys uh we will take a look next week it looks like at some nfl evaluation of clemson's current guys in the league probably mention at some point the guys coming up from the current roster into the draft next season and the year after um and we will update you all on the baseball hire at head coach thanks everybody go tigers